0: Hello and welcome to What's Mine is Mine with Bianca Lynn, a podcast where I talk to friends and peers about our experiences as black and brown professionals. This podcast is a reminder that what's mine is mine and our destiny and future accomplishments already has our name on it. No one or nothing can take away what we're supposed to do. There will be challenges, but it doesn't matter because what's mine is mine. Today's guest is a buzzing open format DJ, culture curator, and music executive based in New York. His earliest experiences in music saw him working with powerhouse companies like Viacom, Warner Music Group, Sony Music, and RCA Records. However, it was during his time at Spotify that he flourished and made significant impact as a senior hip-hop editor for North America. His curated playlists, including popular ones like Most Necessary, Get Turnt, Workouts Workout and African Heat garnered widespread recognition and became go-to destinations for music enthusiasts. He spearheaded the launch of the highly successful Hot Girl Summer Playlist series in collaboration with Megan The Stallion, a venture that resonated with audiences worldwide. Additionally, he introduced the influential Taste Playlist, the first hip-hop and R&B influencer takeover playlist at Spotify. Collaborating with notable figures such as Nigel Sylvester, James Harden, Quinta Brunson, Issa Rae, and Drewski, he showcased his keen eye for emerging talent and curated a playlist that generated engagement into the tens of millions. Beyond his role as Spotify, his DJ sets have been sought after by prestigious brands and artists like Twitter, Nike, HBO, and R&B singer Miguel. And he's graced some notable festivals and conferences including South by Southwest, ComplexCon, A3C, and the BET Experience Festival. Armed with a profound understanding of music, business, and culture, he continues to shape and shift the industry's landscape. Most recently, he released his latest mix, Field Trip 004, exclusively on Apple Music from his popular series, Field Trip. The series is a sonic exploration of the rich and diverse spectrum of R&B music. The mix features new artists, revisits old favorites, and takes a trip through one of the most influential genres of all time. Ladies and gentlemen, he is max october thank you so much for joining me
1: oh man it's a pleasure to be here thank you for the intro too
0: of course that was just like amazing once i received more information about you i'm like damn this guy really is it this is like i'm so excited to have you talking to me and talking to the listeners of the show you've been so blessed with such a fantastic journey
1: man i think that's what it is i think it's just all been a blessing that's that's just I don't know how I see
0: it. Has the journey been what you pictured?
1: Uh, No, <laughs> but um, I think it's been unique. I think every journey is unique. I feel like every experience was tailor-made for every other experience that I'm experiencing. So I can't say that it's something that I expected, but... It's, it's been interesting, absolutely.
0: Okay, well, let's get into it. I was doing a little of my research, and I saw that you started in Rhode Island, and yeah. you came into New York. So, like, let's start there. Give me a little bit of that background, because, like, Rhode Island, I don't know anybody from Rhode Island. So, <laughs> what, what's that even like?
1: <laughs> yeah, I am born and raised in Providence, Rhode Island. It's funny, everyone says that. I've never met anyone from Rhode Island. I'm like, all right, cool, I'll be here first. That's, that's totally fine. <laughs> but, I mean, Rhode Island absolutely shaped me culturally too it's a very diverse city and has so many pockets of like different communities and different cultures and you're able to tap into a lot of different experiences just being in the city like of providence you know like there's towns that are kind of like i don't want to call it like segregated but it's very much like there's just pockets of scenes so like it's very densely populated with like italians or portuguese or colombians or nigerians just different spaces and i think just growing up there i get exposed to a lot
0: nice so did you go to college in that area, or did you, like, how'd you get to New York?
1: Yeah, full, full bred. was born there, raised there, went to high school, college there as well. And my mission to New York was just through music and entertainment. I threw a bunch of parties. I was definitely a party promoter when I was like 16, 17. Threw a bunch of parties, threw concerts with some really, really dope people, and um, was able to get a appetite for entertainment and the business of it as well on a very, very like local level. And then just kind of like using resources to reach out. We would bring people from out of town in and then, you know, use them as leverage or just a network of people we know outside of Rhode Island and create different experiences as we travel outside of Rhode Island. I love going to like HBCU homecomings. That was a thing for me in college. Like I would just travel to different homecomings and get to meet different people and just realize that, you know, the world is bigger than Rhode Island. And if you want to venture out, you got to network.
0: So I knew, well, I looked up on LinkedIn. I saw that you've held two music and editorial programming roles, or at least those are the ones that I saw. Cause sometimes, you know, not everybody updates their LinkedIn if it's more than two, yeah. but <laughs> I saw that you had those music and editorial programming roles. Was that something that you always wanted to do? Because programming isn't really a role that many people talk about or kind of set as a destination in my experience is maybe something that you kind of like fall into so did you know that that's what you wanted to do
1: so no but ultimately yes to me programming is an extension of discovery so I you know I think every kid wants to be an a r at one point in their life be able to find and discover new music uh, at least the guys or girls in music. And I just, you know, I wanted to be an a r but didn't know how. And even just being in the business now, I'm learning that it's not something that you could just apply for, or kind of fall into. It's, it's very much, you know, network-based and really like result-based too. Like who or what have you been around to warrant your ear? So, you know, I never knew how to navigate that when I was young. So programming was definitely kind of like a extension of that or like more like a parallel path with that. And this is not on my LinkedIn, but um, I did work at a radio station in college. And when I got out of college, it was the local rhythm station in Providence. And I was working there for like a year or two, and I kind of got into programming through that a bit, understanding curation and how radio stations program music and why they program it the way they do. I know there's a lot of half-truths or truths that are told about radio, but like getting to understand the psyche around it just... I think helped me understand why programmers are necessary. And I liked it, I thought it was cool. I had a a background in just making music as well. So like to me, that was also like an extension of that as well. So it, it just felt like something I could fall into easily and I already had a connection.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. It's really cool to hear that you were throwing parties and doing things at 16. And just like how ingrained music has been in your life. And even in these opportunities. It's so cool to see how things just like manifest in listening to people's stories. So your about section on LinkedIn simply says curating culture. And while at Spotify, you curated and introduced the taste playlist, which I mentioned in your intro, and you've been able to have folks like Issa Rae and Quinta Brunson collaborate with you what are some responsibilities, like the shiny ones and the not so shiny ones that come with curating culture? Like seeing that, I'm like, whoa, that sounds very major. And I'm sure that feels cool. But also there has to be some like, anxiety moments, like you are shifting and and shaping, leading the direction of where we're all going.
1: Yeah. To me that, I guess you would call it a phrase. It's more so like like a badge, really. I've always been one to champion those without a voice. I think that's like a big thing for me. In music, there are a lot of artists who don't technically have the same voice as some bigger artists. So, you know, I think it's always a way for me to shine a light on up and coming emerging artists, people who kind of like have an audience, but it may not be mainstream or anything that's super popular, but there's a space for them and helping them connect to that space has always been something I thought was pretty cool with the role and everyone's experiences with music is different. People experience music differently. Everything is just different. So it's more so like being like the traffic patrol guys on the jet bridges just kind of making sure things are going, you know, the right direction. And I think my role is kind of like that and helping people find audiences and pockets that they may not be familiar with. And then audiences find artists that they may not be familiar with. I think that's always cool. And then always just being first. I think I just have one of those type of ears to know really on a like scientific level too, like what gets people moving. In college, I took a bunch of sound classes, like soundscapes and understanding frequencies and understanding like what frequencies get your body moving Certain rhythms, and there's always a science to me. And when I'm hearing beats, my mind goes to like how I would want to move to it and who would move to it in, in this way. And a lot of that is math, really. It's really science. So, yeah, I've always been able to do that, which is why curating culture to me has just been a fun role. You know what I'm saying? Like, and not so much having influence over the culture, but it's just more so like creating the pockets for people to explore different things. That's always been fun for me.
0: Are there any challenges with that? Like when you were introducing this to Spotify, did you experience any pushback?
1: Yeah, there's always challenges because sometimes the direction in which things go on a cultural level don't always align with the business. And if you work in music, you work in the business of music. So it's always trying to make sure that they line up, making sure that there's a business case, a business reason for our cultural ideas and advancements. I think that's always a challenge. But, you know, it's only a challenge if you see it that way. To me, it's like, all right, cool. We want to get we, we want to do this. How can we do this? Like, let's figure out how to do this and we'll create the business case for it. And this usually is a business case because, you know, culture is so elusive. It comes, it goes. It really finds new ways to mutate and become different things so like you're always chasing that and with chasing that comes new ideas new innovations really trying to stay ahead and that's really the challenge but it's a fun challenge you know Mm -hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. What would you say to a listener that may be at a company that is about music culture, who wants to introduce a new playlist or introduce a new function or a new avenue that the company should explore? What is that advice? If you can kind of like walk us through, tell your secrets without telling your secrets, because I know that there are people who have good ideas, who want to bring some cultural moments to their company. But let's be real, music culture, entertainment culture, media culture is white culture. So it's challenging. Even for me, I've held programming positions and I've been in in charge of teams and I've tried to introduce things and I would get so much pushback. I wouldn't even be looked at. People wouldn't even answer my emails. But if I had the guy underneath me presented, then they listened to him. So I had to deal with that just being a black woman in a leadership position. So, yeah. even for, for me, if I wanted to do this again at another company, what steps would you give to kind of introduce something? And because you, you mentioned like there's a case for it, that may not be something that someone may have thought about.
1: So, I have like two points on that. And okay. one may be a little controversial, but I really do feel like to be able to push culture forward, you kind of have to not be afraid of feedback. Or criticisms, and I love quotes. So I always just drop a, a fire quote here and there. And I'm gonna paraphrase this because I I don't remember it verbatim. But someone said something to the degree of all of our innovations and advancements in culture, media, whatever it is, was made by the disruptors, and never by the people who played it safe. And when you're a disruptor. It's not the easiest road. It's not the easiest path. Not everyone's going to listen to you. People may even build cases to make sure that you don't have a voice in the space. These are challenges that are always going to happen for people who just naturally want to innovate and want to be disruptive in the space and figure out new advancements. So to me, it's not really advice. It's just more so understanding what comes with that. One responsibility, but what comes with just really wanting to change, make change, positive change too? Like, it's not ever, you're not always gonna, you know, it's never gonna be a cakewalk. Like, there's always gonna be opposition. There's always gonna be somebody opposed to it. There's another quote I'm gonna drop on you because I love quotes, but it's one of my favorites. It's a new one I heard. My boy Malik dropped this on me the other day, but he said, The um, optimist built the airplane mm-hmm. and the pessimist designed the uh, parachute, mm-hmm. you know? So there's always going to be opposition. There's always going to be someone who's like, well, that's not a good idea. You know what I'm saying? But there's always ways to innovate within the pushback and the disruption. My second point was, which is why you have to be smart on the business side, because understanding capitalism, everything has to generate dollars. You know, no one really cares if it's a good idea or a bad idea. They care about if the balance sheet at the end of the quarter is in the black or in the red. So if you're able to figure out ways to innovate and push culture for it and it makes money, that's always going to be the easiest path or the path of the least resistance. It's just trying to understand the business. And I think that's what creatives sometimes don't understand. Like they want to come in and say, yeah, hey, I just, you know, I, I just painted the Mona Lisa. But if the Mona Lisa is only worth a couple of dollars, nobody cares. They rather have AI draw something that cost ten dollars you know so you got to understand the business around the culture and then be able to affect the business and the culture i think that's where you really win
0: Mm -hmm. thank you for that i appreciate both of those quotes they resonated with me for sure for sure so you've been a dj since the start of your career what has it been like balancing your personal passion while simultaneously working for others
1: man it's tough only because I'm just the type of DJ or creative that like I just like to create. And early in my DJ career, like when I would get up on a stage and play a set, I would always play for me. Like I would always play the stuff I liked that I wanted that resonated with me. And a lot of it would be new records, like new songs. Like somebody down the street, just there's a song I heard, I loved it. I want to get in the set, I'll just do it. And um I quickly learned that like it's not always about you. Because people are in the room to feel a certain way and get off what they want to get off. And if you're not in the same frequency, they don't have to stay. You know what I'm saying? Like, they could could walk out, they could go get a drink, they could go to the bathroom. Like, this ain't really for me. And just kind of really understanding that balance. Like, okay, cool. I have to understand what makes people move. But also, like, make sure it's within the scope of what I love, too. So that's always been like a balance for me. Like, all right, cool. Like, how do I start this? How do I get the stuff I want to get in? Maybe it's a little bit later in my set. Maybe I got to come with these first seven songs. And then once their guard is down, I could kind of start to get some stuff I want in. It's really just being tactical, like creatively tactical, just understanding like what people are into, what the vibe is, and always being open to listening. Like, I listen more than I talk and that's not happening right now, but I I promise you, I listen more than I talk. I don't really like to run with my thoughts too much because I I do feel like it's more effective when you understand what's in front of you, what people want to listen to, and you'll be more effective as a listener than a speaker.
0: Okay. What about literal balancing? Like, has it been hard of, okay, I'm putting in all these hours at like RCA, but I have my own passions because in order to get these brand deals that you've received and even be at these festivals, you got to put in that work. It's not like you were doing like one party and then they're like, oh yeah, I remember I went to that party. I heard him last month and he did a great job. Like, what was that even like? I know you also have a family even balancing all of that in between. So how do you know when it's time to kind of be like, hey, I gave this company X amount of hours, but now it's time for me to hone on like being max october
1: yeah um i'm still learning to be honest i think the arrival of my family really put a lot of that into perspective and just understand what i'm living for you know i'm saying like max october is cool maxwell's cool too you know what I'm saying? Like Maxwell as the dad is cool too. And Maxwell as the partner is cool too. So just making sure I'm listening, like I said, more than I'm doing. And the people in my life are very vocal. They'll tell me like, yeah, you might need to slow down. Like, let's take some time to go do this. You've been traveling too much. You know, you should probably slow down for a little bit. And I'll listen depending on circumstances. I'll be like, yeah, you're right. Let me just slow down. But I do feel like staying busy keeps me alive if that makes sense Mm -hmm. I've had moments where I've just been on the couch for like once like all right what do I do twiddling thumbs like how do I figure this out and then when you get busy you may feel a little bit of like oh I'm tired but like this is really what you were designing for the past couple months like you wanted this type of schedule you wanted this lifestyle you wanted to be able to provide at a level that you know you weren't before so it's like all right that I have to put into perspective as well. Like it it comes in waves. Not everything is consistent. So when the wave is when you when you surfing, like surf. Like when that wave is there, you gotta get ready to surf. And that's really kind of how I I see it. There'll be moments where I could calm down and, and chill and be around family or focus on work or whatever the case is. My employers, they get their time as well from whatever time they need me in to whatever time I'm able to leave. But that five to nine that's, that's where I'm able to really just focus and just figure out max October stuff, maybe like nine to nine, I guess, cause my Mm -hmm. kids.
0: Yeah. I heard you mention just now, like there were times when you were like sitting on your couch for long periods of time, dwindling your thumbs. Have you ever experienced a layoff? If so, how did you navigate that? Like, what did you learn?
1: Yeah. Just recently, honestly, I did experience a layoff and, um, It taught me a lot about myself, for sure. I'm beyond resilient. I don't like to sulk in bad news or bad vibes. One, it's infectious, right? People around you start to feel that negativity. And then also too, understanding that there are people that are counting on you for their livelihood as well. Like that's, I don't know if that's the biggest motivator in the world, but like that was the biggest motivator for me. So I didn't even, it really didn't affect me for more than like, I can't even say 48 hours. Like it might've been like a day where I was just like, wow. Just like, okay. And then the next day it was like, all right, cool. Let's get it. Like, all right, how are we going? We got to go get money. Let's go get money. And not to make it a fiduciary thing, but I've always been able to get money. That's a blessing in its own. Like I could always find money. So to me, it was a little bit innate. It was like, all right, let's go get money. Like, all right, get up. Put my pants on one leg at a time. Let's go get it. That's, that's just been my, my energy. And I think I, I could kind of give that up to like rap. Like rap gives you that type of energy. I think, um, I, think I saw a Jim Jones interview like he was saying like, you know, when I was talking to my lady, like, you know, we might not, I'm going to let her know for the next couple months, you know, we may not be able to buy Chanel and this, that, and the third, but once I get it back, it's Chanel every week. and You know, it's things like that. Like, that's kind of like the era I grew up in. It's like, those are the, the type of uh just kind of like speeches that motivate me. I was born a rap kid. Like, I love rap to my core. So things like that, you know, I'm a, I'm a product of that, you know, very East Coast, very like, just very that
0: hmm. That really resonates with me, too, because I'm really big on affirmations and I started my affirmations podcast, which is called Walk It Like I Talk It. Plug, plug, so. and I love music. I mean, so many of us do, but I really resonate with it. I'm from Elizabeth, New Jersey, so I'm okay. my Jersey. my name <laughs> necklace, like streetwear. Hip hop culture is my mm-hmm. culture. So what I created was rap formations because I listen to rap mm. all the time, and I'm like, where is Young Dolph at? I need to talk about getting paid. Granted, yeah. I have that mentality. It's not that easy. Money flows to me. That's how I'm trying to attract the dollars. But like, I have not really been able to find the ways to make money I focus more on like finding joy and feeling good when I feel good then things come to me but nevertheless the rap really helps me I focus on an artist and I like do affirmations based off of their music and That's tough. it's just like oh I love it and also too I thought it was great to do just to celebrate hip-hop's 50th anniversary because so many people think negatively about hip-hop and I'm like no there are some positives like I am the macaroni with the cheese. Don't worry. You know, like, it's all good. So, um, yeah. And
1: where where can I find that? Is is it a a podcast or like an IG page? Uh,
0: Yeah, it's it's on my podcast, Walk It Like I Talk It with Bianca Lynn. But just as a caveat, because it's affirmations typically – I normally say it like really calmly and sweetly, but in real life, I would rather be rapping them, but you know, there's Mm -hmm. all of the, the legalities. And so Uh, the way you hear it, you may be like, okay, this is different, but just know that my intention is (laughs) to, (laughs) because how I'm performing it. When I'm picking the lyrics are very different than what you hear on the podcast. But That's my intention to just highlight Mm -hmm. rap and just, you know, Okay, so that was enough about me. What's one of your favorite projects or roles that you've had?
1: man I talk about this all the time. One of my favorite favorite projects that I ever did I think it it really kind of like it really it really man I, I just feel like the way that I was able to build this thing it, to me it was just like and and also too like the internal notoriety I got from it through like senior level executives was kind of crazy too but I was at RCA. In 20, I think seventeen, we were working on Chris Brown's project. This was kind of like when digital streaming services were just like the hot thing in the world. Everyone wanted to partner with them and figure stuff out, and I remember building well i remember working the chris brown album and they wanted to work with a specific partner and um for some reason we weren't able to like land anything with them and internally they came to me and was like max you got to figure out some type of campaign for this like we need this album this was the 40 track album the heartbreak heartbreak on a full moon Mm yeah like you got to figure out something for this like this needs to you know just needs to work. You gotta figure out how to make it work. And I was like, all right, cool. And I sat with the album. I had the album and one thing I noticed and I should probably say this, like I'm a builder. Like I'm a builder. Maybe not a maintainer, but I'm a builder. I can build anything. Just say that to say that. But I, I pretty much listened to the album and then I'm just kind of like putting things together that I'm seeing from the album. So it's 40 tracks. I think there was about 12 or 14 features. It was like a ton of features. And I was just like, we need to put a playlist together. Playlists were the thing. They still are. And I'm like, we got to put a playlist together, but how do we curate it? Like, What's the theme and the name of the album Heartbreak on a Full Moon? So the idea was to partner with these features. Like, all right, let's tap in with the features. Let's let the features curate a playlist for Chris. But instead of the playlist being the, uh, the name of the album or the title of the album, I changed the title. I was like, let's just make it Heartbreak in whatever city they're from. So. Some of the features on there were like Kodak Black, A Boogie, Future, Ty Dolla Sign, Yo Gotti. I'm trying to think who else was on there. I think Usher. Usher. So many. So we reached out to their parties and just said, hey, can you send us 20 to 25 tracks that they love from their city? And then we padded the other 25 with... Chris Brown songs and we told them Chris would promote it like Chris would share it with his fans. And so they saw it as an opportunity. And this is going back to what we said about just making sure the business aligns with the creative. The business idea was like, hey, you know, Chris Brown had a bigger audience than some of those artists at the time. Let's figure out how to leverage Chris's audience to get exposure to their catalog, things that they want to support. So obviously they had a bunch of their catalog and content in the playlist and Chris would support it while there's another half of Christmas songs in there that we want to bake into the overall campaign and let's just get them both to promote it. Like it's like a joint mixtape and it kind of worked. All of them did it. So for like Kodak Black, it was Heartbreak in Pompano Beach. And for Future, it was Heartbreak in Atlanta. Gucci Mane was on there, so we did Heartbreak in Atlanta too, And we did that for all of them. We did it, and we rotated the playlist every day, leading into the album. So by the time the album came out, I think it had generated, I think, a little over 8 million streams. And this is just for Chris's content. Like Chris's content that lived within this playlist generated like 8 million streams. And that specific playlist, because we rotated the same playlist, grew from like, I think he had like 40 or 50,000 followers on it to like 200 and something thousand followers. So not only did we grow the playlist that would later house the full album that people will return to when they want to, but we also generated some money on the catalog side, as well as, you know, help these artists promote and talk about the album. And then also like the creative for the playlist covers was designed around the album. So it was just more, you know, exposure for the campaign and the project at large. So it was like a really dope project or campaign. And the beauty about it is is it costs no money. Like this is stuff that usually people would spend money to generate this type of attention or, or retention. We spent literally zero dollars and it was just a big deal internally. I met with like, <laughs> My boss's boss's boss. He wanted to know, like, how did I put this together? And I met with, like, the head of global sales for Sony, just at large. He wanted to understand how the campaign worked and how they could leverage it for other campaigns. And it really just came down to relationships. I have really good relationships. People wanted to do me solids, and I'm super appreciative to them to this day. Like, that was just a really good look. And I really loved it because they let me just create. They're like, yo, figure it out. Come back to us. Let us know if we have some resources we can lend, we'll lend, but just work with nothing and see what happens. And and that's kind of what happened so and I love crediting that because it took zero dollars like I've had and worked on things that we spent a good chunk of money on but like to me it's more meaningful to know that like I can literally like take a couple sticks and some rocks and build a house you know that's just to me like a win
0: yes oh my gosh thank you so much for sharing that story it makes me feel so inspired I was like lighting up hearing how it all came together like you said it didn't cost anything you just sat there with the album this was an idea that came in Your your mind, and you were able to get the support behind that, and really just show like you can have a million dollar idea. You don't have to spend any of your money. You can have all of these investors behind it, musicians, their management, the companies. Like that is just really cool. And I also remember when that was happening at that time, like those playlists. So like that's like really really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Nah. It's
1: it's it's just one of those things where it's just like man. Like I love when I make. Able to do things like that because I could always give you a business case as to why we need to do it, but executing the creative—that's when I, I, I really light up because I just like being creative. I've noticed that, like, just for anything, like, I'll, I'll find any creative avenue and figure out a way to make money from it, but enjoy the whole process of being creative still. So.
0: Yeah, Yeah. definitely. That is a true testimony to that. Thank you again and again for sharing that. That was so meaningful (laughs) to me. (laughs) Seriously, seriously. Okay, so what was a workplace challenge that you had to overcome while navigating your career? And how did you overcome it?
1: man. I'm still figuring it out, I'm not gonna lie. I mean, I I try to understand why things happen the way they happen, and I try to learn from them as well. I'm just a fighter for creativity, so I think that's just always gonna be a challenge for me. And I'm working on it, I'm trying to always understand why things have to happen the way they do. I remember, this is maybe about three, four years ago, I met with Kevin Lyles, and I blame him for this. But um, I remember he was just like, man, listen, don't ever let me hear somebody say you ain't fighting for our culture, man. And I, I kind of looked at him like, why, like you know, why, why would you say that to me? Like I'm I'm one of the one of the warriors, you know what I'm saying? He's like, yeah, man, listen, don't ever let anybody intimidate you, scare you out of not having a job. If you need a job, I'll give you a job. But don't ever stop fighting for our culture. And I'm not gonna lie, that was like downing a a, a semi truck of gasoline on a little lighter, like that just lit me up like I was just like yeah I'll never stop and I always have that battery in my back because I, I do feel beyond blessed just the way I got to music and the business of entertainment you know like I'm supposed to be in Rhode Island you know what I'm saying maybe throwing parties like still or maybe teaching teaching is always something I loved but you know I always feel like I'm, I'm supposed to be over there so like while I'm here let's just let's just run it up and then if I gotta go back, I'll go back. But it's always been my mentality, like I'm just never afraid. So to go back to your question, that's always been a challenge, like figuring out how to tame that lion in me to make other people comfortable. You know, like I think that's always been a challenge because I'm just not like that. Like I, I'm, I'm, I'm not loud, but I'm, I'm very like, I don't know. You can just see that I'm not afraid of anything, and I think sometimes people are afraid of that.
0: Hmm. Definitely. What does success look like to you?
1: Man, it's just being able to provide. Like, as much as I would love millions of dollars, I would want those millions of dollars to Make sure the people around me and in my charge are good. So, whatever finite number that is, when I achieve that, that's success. I think J. Cole said that too a long time ago. Like, he doesn't really care for money, but he loves the stuff that money can do for the people he loves. And I feel the same way. Like, I wear the same four or five sneakers. Like, I don't, I'm not into the material as much as making sure that people who depend on me are okay. Like, that to me will light me up. You know, so that to me is ultimately success. You know, I still buy sneakers and really I'll be buying them so maybe my son can wear them one day. Hopefully you can fit them by the time he has them. But nothing moves me more than taking care of the people I love. So that to me is success. As long as I'm able to do that, for as long as I'm able to do it, that to me is success.
0: That's beautiful. The people in your life are so lucky to have you. That is so beautiful. Thank you. You're welcome. So what's next for you? What's your dream?
1: Oh, man, my dream is always freedom. Freedom to just be creative. I think, you know, certain people are able to reach that quicker than others, but I'm still searching for that. Being able to just wake up and maybe just DJ or wake up and, I don't know, pick up my camera and start shooting. Like, that to me is like, all right, you're you're where you want to be. You're where you need to be.
0: Do you feel close to freedom?
1: I want to say no. I want to say no because of how much responsibility I have. But even if I don't achieve it or get there, my whole thing is like, all right, how can I help my son cut that time in half or three quarters of that? How can I help him feel that way that like, okay, cool. I don't have to work till I'm 65. Like I could chill when I'm 35. Really enjoy my life and my kids. That to me is the goal, and it's so funny too, because like I, I come from immigrant parents, I'm first generation, and it's wild that like I remember my dad and my mom was like telling me the story of how they got here, and we're like in the kitchen, they're like explaining it in detail, every mishap, everything that went wrong, things that went right, things that they, they got lucky with. And I'm like sitting, really just thinking like, yo, like I, I don't even know if I could do half of what y'all did. And to understand what they did to get here, for me to have what I have now, which is way more than they ever had. Kind of putting me and my son's relationship in perspective now. It's like, yo, I'm working as hard as I can so that he could have so much more than I've ever had and be set up to really win in life and just understanding my hardships, like it won't even be a thought for him. It's like, all right, you know, my dad did all this for me. So I'm hoping that's how it works. I think so.
0: I think so. If you possess that and you came from your parents and he comes from you, he's bound to do it. And talking to you, hearing your story, you just share so much insight, your energy. I don't think for a second that he wouldn't tap into that. So I know we're getting close to time. I have like two more questions left. Um, The last one is, what affirmation, because like I mentioned, I'm big on the affirmations, and I know you're good on your quotes. Um, (laughs) What affirmation do you tell yourself to keep going?
1: To keep going, man. I, again, I got a couple. Kobe Bryant's one of my favorite athletes of all time, and I just remember the quote from the um, NBA final. I think this was his two thousand and nine. I just remember the reporter asking him, "Like, yo, you're up three one, or you're up whatever, whatever. Why you got a frown on your face?" And you know, his quote is like, "Job finished. Like, job's not finished." That's probably one to kind of keep me going. Job's not finished. And then um, I'm very spiritual too. So like, there's a quote. It's a Bible quote that I I really love because I do feel like it it speaks to me as a person but it says above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. it just I just feel like everything I do is from the heart so it's kind of like I need to guard it I need to protect it for the people who deserve it. And and that's a challenge because everything I do comes from there. So I think it's just always understanding that balance, like, all right, maybe not take this too personally, just do what you gotta do to get what you need for the people you love and the people in your charge. So that's probably all.
0: Thank you, I really love those. And I love that you included that scripture. It definitely gives even more of a picture uh, to who you are. My last question, do you have any last words of advice or anything that you'd like to ask me? Yeah,
1: advice. Just listen more than you talk. Always listen more than you talk, and that's that's not for you, just for everyone. Listen more than you talk. I feel like you'll always find the answers if you listen inward and outward. And um, for you, I would love to know what made podcasting. I mean, I know you've worked in the podcast space, but like what made this the journey for you now with Mine is Mine?
0: It honestly started with Spotify shifting my role and Mm. just needing to get creativity out of me. And I love to be on camera. Like I used to be in commercials. I like to perform and all that stuff, but I am not trying to take all the time to set the cameras up and the lighting and all that stuff. So I'm like, with what I'm feeling right now, What is the easiest way? What is the path of least resistance? And I have tons of microphones. I literally record into my iPhone. So that's just really what started it. Just doing something that I do all the time. I didn't put that much pressure on myself. And I love to talk to my peers about these things. It is just so inspiring to me. And a lot of times I find that we feel like the lonely only, like The challenges that we're going through, there may not be a lot of other black folks around us or brown people around us that are in the room. So we don't really talk about it or we may think that we need to change ourselves or the things that we want, we may not be able to obtain because we have to work a little bit harder. So I was just naturally having these conversations and then trying to, in my mind and with my ego, figure out what was going on and how to process it. I was just like, let me just start recording these conversations and let's just go. And I'm so grateful that I started it before losing my job because then not having anything to do, I just put all my focus into it. So I'm like, okay, I need to do something to keep myself busy. Mm-hmm. I'm on Instagram, busy Bianca. So mm-hmm. how do I keep that up? And so that's really kind of where I am. I really love doing it. I even think about it as I'm looking up jobs and I haven't heard back from anyone yet. And I look at that as a sign and And I'm like, okay. when I do work again, because I know I'll have a job like maintaining and doing my podcast is important to me. I also wanted to have a platform where I know so much of us, we work hard. And a lot of times our companies don't give us that recognition or so many people are on the Forbes 30 under 30. And then, oh, damn, now I'm 33. Now I got to work hard to be 40 under 40. And, you know, and it it is amazing. You will have those great ideas like you had at RCA and you can meet, you know, the president and, and all of those things. Things, but that may just stay within RCA. There may not be writing up, oh my gosh, look what Max brought to the table. So mm-hmm. even though this is so small in comparison to like Forbes, this is just my way of being like, I wanna highlight you, I see you. I think that this is amazing. I love to encourage people. That's just my personality. I like see things and I wanna highlight and tell you how amazing you are. And I can even see like the people on the podcast, they don't hear that all the time because people's mm-hmm. faces like, oh, like you're a stranger and you're like saying this to me. So I even Mm -hmm. love to just reflect that back to you. All the things that I'm hearing about you and I'm seeing is what you're telling me in this moment. And I like to be that mirror of like, you go boy, like you, you're the (laughs) shit, you know? So of course I would love to be like you and like have this be something that can get me at conferences and all this stuff, but I got to take things one step at a time and I got to thank you and Felicia so much for tapping in with me and like being willing to talk to me about this. This is so meaningful for me, like beyond, especially during this time where I'm like, oh, because I had doubts like, damn, am I good at what I've been doing for the past 10 years? I say that I'm a creator and I've worked at like Complex and VH1, these really cool places, but I'm not getting millions of listens. Like I'm used to seeing for the content that I make for other people, like am I corn? Like there's all these things I go through, but having these conversations and getting out of it, like what you were pouring into us, that is enough for me. And I'm like, you know what, this is why I do it. So thank you so, so much for taking the time and talking with me. You don't know me from a can of paint and you shared your story. You inspired me. Like I said, you are doing such beautiful things for your family. People are, are really blessed to know you and have you in their life. So thank you so much, Max.
1: No, thank you, Bianca, for having me. I, this was a great conversation. These are the type of conversations I love having. And I feel like you're an incredible orator. You should continue doing what you're doing. You've been nothing but pleasant. Your aura just screams through the screen, and we're not even in front of each other. I could tell you're just a great person to be around. Thank and you. And obviously, if I could help it, anyway, please let me know. That's always been my thing to help others through my blessings and opportunities. So if there's anything I can ever do for you, please let me know because this was an honor and I appreciate being on here.
0: Of course I will. I'll keep you updated and posted. So if anybody, if you have any questions, I'll put information to tap into Max in the description below. Thank you all so much for continuing to listen. And I hope that you were just as blessed by this conversation as I was. So talk to you next time.